0: Let's get to it. The importance of having a strong sales infrastructure cannot be stressed enough. A strong sales team with strong processes, methods, and tools, but determining what you need at different stages of growth can sometimes be difficult. In this episode of the Revenue Engine Podcast, Jacob Hahn, the CEO and co-founder at SalesDoc, shares his recommendations for turning opportunities into business by having the right sales department structure, leading your customers through the buying journey, and maximizing effectiveness by using the best methods and tools. So take a listen and learn what you can start doing today to get your revenue engine set up for success. So excited to be here today with Jacob Hahn, the CEO and co-founder of SalesDoc. SalesDoc is a full-service B2B sales agency that is on a mission to boost sales for their clients by redesigning their sales processes and partnering to execute sales with sales as a service. So welcome, Jacob, and thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to unpack your story.
1: Hi, Rosalind, and thank you very much for inviting me. I think it's going to be a great discussion today.
0: Awesome, awesome! I'm so excited. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about your career journey, right? And kind of your backstory prior to starting SalesDoc over, I guess, seven years, more than seven years ago. Now, um, you've held different sales roles, but I saw you were actually a previously a founder already. So maybe can you tell us more about your backstory, kind of that career journey, you know, prior to SalesDoc?
1: Yeah, uh, and also, how did I get to sales? Yeah. Uh, I think <laughs> as most of the salespeople, they get to the sales by accident or in a way that's the only thing you can do <laughs> once you're <laughs> young and you don't, you don't have any proper qualification. So <laughs> yeah, that's actually how it started. Uh, I was cooperating with my brothers uh, selling for his small company. Uh, okay. Then uh, this one I don't, don't have on my LinkedIn. Then I joined student <laughs> organization, ISEG, where I also work in sales. Uh, I had uh, afterwards. I had a little bit uh, step aside, which actually is quite uh, beneficial up until now. So I went into the doing the sales analytics. I was working with Excel, preparing reports, and that uh, that was in a bank. And I ta- I learned a lot about how to report and how to be more be, be more analytical, which is uh, I think all the sales leaders needs to needs to have it, or if they don't have it, or if they have it, it's very beneficial. Yes. Yep, uh, and then I changed for another sales role, which I went to the healthcare, and afterwards uh, I went to uh, I went to study uh, to Netherlands, and there there I started working for a tech uh, company, uh, startup at that time, 50, 50 employees, mm-hmm. and yeah, I started to like uh, the sales in tech, and why did I start salesdog afterwards with my friend? Who actually started with me in the Netherlands? It was you know, we thought we could do the sales better. That's always, uh, I yeah. guess, how it how it starts. And uh, yeah, so our our idea was uh, let's move back to Czech Republic and set up here a competent center for sales for all the tech companies that they can outsource sales in sales So that's uh, that was that was the the beginning. We started as a sales outsourcing, and with it that terribly bad. Uh, not the outsourcing, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> the the business the business model and uh, the customers we were targeting because you know we went for the first startup conference and we say hey, we're going to do sales for uh, startups uh, us as a company you pay from commission and you just pay the fixed salaries of the salespeople. and uh, yeah the first clients we get the startups which didn't get didn't have any product market fit yet and at, at that time we were a little bit too ambitious for thinking hey we could sell with whoever, to whatever, to wh- whoever, the meaning go. <laughs> we got some salespeople and say we can trade them and put them up to the speed very quickly. In the same time, uh, uh, we can we have. Uh, so we had junior salespeople. We had uh, we had uh, products which didn't have product market fit, and uh, oh. we thought we could we could sell it. So uh, yeah, as you <laughs> know. Now, as you know, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a disaster. So uh, afterwards we had to do a little bit of a restart. And over yeah. the time, over time, we're getting more into the consulting uh, mm-hmm. because uh, we saw it has actually way bigger impact on the organization than um, than just uh, uh, scheduling meetings, qualifying opportunities, eventually closing, uh, closing the businesses, but uh, with the short sales cycles. Uh, so we ended up uh, where we are right now. Uh, so that's uh, redefining processes, upscaling salespeople and so uh, looking for the right sales talents. And also we started a subsidiary company, which does implementation of the tech stack, Salesforce okay. Outreach Zoom Info. And uh, yeah, and partly we still do interim management. So sometimes we were invited to the companies and they say, hey, can you build a sales team for us? put them up to the speed. And once uh, it is up to the speed, uh, find a replacement for yourself and uh, hand over to the sales team. So oh, wow. that's in a that's, nutshell. <laughs> the-
0: yeah, that's great. I mean, really, it's kind of a full service, right? Sales, yeah. because basically coming in and helping you set it up, set up the infrastructure, but then also if you need help, enabling the team, hiring the team, hiring a replacement leader to kind of manage the infrastructure that you've Built
1: out. Yep. You know, sometimes uh, you can go to the company and start do them co- uh, do the sales coaching for them, but it doesn't have such an impact if they, the processes are incorrect, or if the, they don't have the proper tech stack, or if the people are incorrect, or if they're. Uh, so that's why we started putting more and more people into the team. It's not that we would be two of us doing everything. Uh, so we set up dedicated teams for each of the specialties. So once we come to the once we come to the company, uh, we can be the the full service for them. They don't have to have uh, contracted five, five agencies, one for coaching, one for Salesforce, another one for recruitment. We're the ones who understand the organization, so we can deliver it as a in the same quality, different types of services, with same understanding of the organization.
0: Got it. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, as, as part of your services, right, I saw that, you know, you talk about sales and then turning opportunities into business, right, through structuring yeah. exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, sales department, right, increasing scale, um, leading, you know, leading your customers through the buying journey, which, you know, we'll get into as well, and then maximizing that efficiency and effectiveness, right? Through methods, best methods, best practices, and then, like you said, tools. You know, as a RevOps leader, I mean, this is all, I think, as we were talking about before we started recording, this is all like music to my ears, right? Best methods, yeah. process, tools, infrastructure, right? Buying journey, all these things are things that I probably overuse those words every single day. Um But let's dive into some of those areas. Let's start Mm -hmm. with maybe is that structuring of your team, right? The sales team and the sales processes. Because, you know, as we both know, I think different sizes and stages of companies, right, require something different in terms of what they need. Um, and it's often difficult to really know what do you need at this point in time. So maybe from your perspective, you know, mm-hmm. how should um, how should organizations be thinking about their sales team structure, right, at different stages of growth, maybe both from a people and a leadership perspective, but then also from a process perspective?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um So let's start with a very early stage of the company. So you have a company, there is a founder, the founder got one or two clients and he starts thinking, maybe I should uh, start recruiting the sales team. No, not yet. Uh, (laughs) Stay in the sales a little bit longer and uh, have the product market fit. So how do you define the product market fit? It also depends on the the type of product which you have, but I don't know, at least uh, five to 10 customers if you do enterprise sales. these customers are happy with you. They don't leave you. They're they're paying you for the uh for the for the product. They're so happy that they recommend you some somewhere else. And also, um, the market is big enough. Meaning you're not you're not selling for 10k yearly subscription to telco companies. That's not a product market for you. You will never ever build company on that. Uh, once you get a product market fit, then it's about hey, so I should get a first salesperson here and uh, transfer it from the founder to to first initial sales team. Um, there are several approaches how we can do that. Uh, we always recommend them: hey, find uh, find somebody who is a trailblazer for you, who is the mm-hmm. founders like has a found, founders like mindset. For me, mm-hmm. uh, I usually recommend somebody. Uh, who had his own or her own business and it didn't work out because that person knows how it is to be uh, how, it, how it is to be in sales and also still has his or her eyes open and see the opportunities and knows hey there's no defined playbook. Yet. So mm-hmm. I, I don't expect uh, that somebody tells me this is exactly my customer, this is exactly my value proposition, and this is exactly how we sell it, and I just do it and I executed it. Mm-hmm. It's not this is not the salesperson you should have at the at that point of time. Definitely at this moment is also beneficial uh, having somebody who can start already structuring your sales department. It, it could be just, uh, it could be an uh, interim or it could be for, for part-time you have your head of sales or you have a mentor. So who starts giving you a little bit of insights how it should be done. Mm-hmm. I saw also some of the companies that uh, the founders, the first thing what they give away is the scheduling of the meetings. So they set up the BDR, they set up the BDR teams at the beginning. So they got two people start calling and scheduling meetings for them. That also flies quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I always recall, and here is also good to have more more than one person because if the one person fails, then you don't lose the whole year. Uh, and also, if you have two people, you can compare the numbers uh against each other, and you know whether it's the market or or the person when it comes to the processes uh i would, the same as with c r m like have the c r m before you call make the first call mm-hmm. it's not costly you can get it uh you can have it for free it's always better than excel it's always better than paper there's no <laughs> no dispute about this one uh mm-hmm. no reason why to why to use the any other, any other tool. And the same with the sales process, try to have a have define or somebody who can define it with you because then you get clarity into that. Uh, I always say that the number one killer for the startups or for the young companies is uh, they have unqualified pipeline and a lot of maybes in the pipeline. And they mm-hmm. do the they do have it because they have nice conversation with somebody who tells him tells them hey I like your product it looks really cool maybe if you put this <laughs> and that feature I might uh, we might buy it, uh, but actually this is not the hard comment uh, from them and they live in the dreams that they have 30 40 open opportunities and none none of them converts. And how to get rid of this uh, op- false optimism is about having defined a process and knowing having some sales mentor who tells you. Hey, yeah, maybe you had a nice discussion, but did you discuss uh, uh, the uh, the decision-making criteria? Did you discuss why did, should they have it? What's the impact on your on their business? And who else should be involved? What are the stakeholders, and so on? Yep. So those are the like the two beginning stages. And once you once you onboard the f- first two three salespeople, that you put them up to speed. This is the time, and at that time, you should have already some sales processes in place initial playbooks in place. And this is a time when you can grow to another 10 people. And one, and then from the 10 people, 10 men organization, you grow farther and farther, and you start also professionalizing your sales team. So you don't have 50 people who manages the whole sales cycle from calling to customer till maintaining the customer. You start defining either BDRs and uh, the rest, or you have BDR account executive, account managers, manager slash, uh, slash customer success.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think it's it's really interesting when people talk about, you know, from founder-led, when they hire their first sales leader, that's such a critical role, yeah, right? That first person. And I like that, that recommendation of somebody who maybe has been a founder before, and maybe failed at it, right? But they're still hungry. They have that right mindset. They're not expecting to have everything kind of packaged up for them to just go deliver. They know that it's going to be iterative and they have to build. Right. I think when you're in a startup, it's always about, you know, having that growth mindset, but also that, that founder's mindset that you're going to build something that's going to scale and it's going to be iterative, right? You're going to have to figure out a lot of things along the way, um, which is really important.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And also one more thing, which is important. I mentioned that I will just stress it A little bit more is start to formalizing everything, what you do. It doesn't have to be perfect. Like it will never be perfect. Just start putting the things on the paper because once you put them on the paper, then you can start improving them. Yes.
0: Yeah. One hundred percent. Oh, music again to my ears. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely just get something on paper, get it documented. Because that's the only way you can improve, right? Or even be able to measure whether it's working or not. Um, You know, and this kind of feeds into my next question because I think, you know, as companies scale, that predictability, right, becomes Mm. increasingly critical. You know, and I think as we've all seen and experienced, I think the last few years, just with the market volatility, it's made it even more difficult, right? And I think the companies that, you know, have strong sales process, they have methodologies, they have governance, right? They have that infrastructure. I think that is really the key to um, being able to drive some of that predictability. Um, So maybe what are some of the best practices you think companies should implement, right, to provide that better predictability?
1: I think in that aspect, I'm a little bit too old fashioned. Uh, (laughs) I will explain you why. Okay, there are many tools which look uh, looks into your CRM and say, "Hey, this prospect is responsive, uh, so let's put it some higher virtual score, which then converts uh, in more of the businesses." Uh, it, definitely, it, it can work. It takes time until you get implemented, and uh, it it gets it needs massive amount of data to gives you prediction. Um, and especially with the small organization, this one you don't need. Uh, what you need uh, is to have uh, the right sales leadership and mindset in the sales team uh, methodology and process. I will explain it to you right now, what I mean by that. The first thing is uh, a lot of companies tell you, hey, we follow the metric. Uh, uh, so we have economic buyers, champions, uh, we qualify the metrics and so on. But uh, then if you actually go deep enough, you realize that they don't, they don't know what economic buyer is. They're talking to the guy and and <laughs> telling you, hey, this is an economic buyer. And if you tell them, okay, so he, he's the one who can overrule the rest of the organization. If everybody says no, he can say yes. And he's the one who signs the paper. and say, no, 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 this is not the guy. He says he a budget, yeah, but the budget has to be signed off by somebody else who allocated the budget for the person. So it's not an economic buyer. So it's then about how religious you are, about the process and the methodology you follow. And we're trying to we're teaching the organization to be strict about it. So, for instance, if we define a sales process, it's like stage one, stage two, and you have four milestones between stage one and stage two. Uh, what is the need? Why the need is there? Who are the key stakeholders? And uh, what is the urgency? Uh, if this one is completed, you can move to another stage. If that one is completed, you can move to another stage. It's easier afterwards to validate it. So you go on the pipeline review or QBR and you start discussing the milestones, whether the person has them. You also need to teach, uh, you also need to set up the mindset in the sales team. The QBRs and, uh, uh, and the sales reviews, it's not about uh, promoting ourselves and saying uh, how the world is beautiful and how the pipeline is beautiful and the unicorns and, and rainbows. But it's more <laughs> about uh, being very critical about it. Saying, hey, let's look at the pipeline and let's try to find if there is any reason why the opportunity, the opportunity shouldn't be in the pipeline. Is there is a, any reason why they shouldn't buy it from us? Look at, not to be negative, but to be critical about if there's something I can do better, so let's do it right away. And once you, once you then follow the sales process, once you, and you really follow it, it's not just a, a paper which you put uh, uh, or store somewhere at, at your internal Wiki, but you get back to that often, like on every sales review, you go deep into the opportunities and you're trying to discover, you're trying to uncover some potential problems, then you're very able to predict your your pipeline very easily.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think it's it's really interesting because I was having a conversation recently about the sales mm. methodology. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, Medic or MedPic or Bant or, you know, whatever they're using. But the importance is not so much which methodology necessarily that you're using, but it's important that you're actually digging deep. Into the methodologies and really understanding what are those key milestones that help predict that your business is actually the deal is actually moving yeah, forward. Absolutely,
1: and once you start focusing on that, meaning, uh, so what are what are the reason why why the forecasts are inaccurate, unrealistic close dates, uh, then uh, unqualified pipeline. Yeah. Uh, usually, with the deal values, is not much of a lying, uh, at least from my experience. So I started asking the salespeople, hey, when, do, when is the close date? And instead of the close date, I said, oh, you're going to bet 200 euros that the, you're going to close it by that time? And they usually say, no, <laughs> might be maybe a little bit later. And then you also <laughs> start challenging the, them, okay, so if the close date is in a month, uh, it's an enterprise deal and you're not the, even done with POC. So tell me how do you want to go through that? Uh, so <laughs> you, start, you start challenging them quite Rightly and then you can easily get to the forecast that uh, you're 10% uh, plus minus accurate. So if you look at the expected value at the beginning of the month, uh, then by the end of the month you deliver pretty much what you expected.
0: Yeah yeah, I love that. I love the comment that you made about the QBRs too because I think a lot of times even in a forecast call, you know we a lot of companies still just do like a readout. Right, their forecast call is really just kind of reading the notes and telling, oh, when's the next meeting? Yeah. Oh, is it going to close? Instead of really using it as a strategy, right? Diving deep and asking the right questions to really understand what can we do to make sure that we remove any blockers, mitigate any risk, right, and make sure that we um, that the deal will progress the way that we're expecting to, and how to strategize to make sure it closes, right? Versus yeah, exactly. The readout.
1: If you do the readout or. Then it's a waste of the time for everybody if you do the challenging approach or so whoever is part of the meeting, they get something out of it. And say, okay, so that's how I can get to economic buyers. That's how I can build the champions. That How should I discover this and that or remove some blockers? And then they can apply it in their deals as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so let's talk a little bit about managing the customer's journey, right? The customer journey throughout that buying process. Because I know you talk about this a lot about you and your business. You know, what are the key components of sort of that customer management process? And then maybe where do you see the biggest gaps, right? in the organizations that mm-hmm. you work with?
1: So when we look at the uh, acquisition sales teams, and so let's take it apart from opportunity to deal. Very often, we start asking them. Uh, so, how does the sales and sales and buying process look like? So it's more like, oh yeah, we go on the first meeting, then we prepare quotation, then we have negotiation, and uh, then the, <laughs> then the deal is done and magic will happen. And yeah, <laughs> it can in a certain probability. Rather, rather lower than, uh, than higher. Um, usually it is that the, they don't understand well the organization. So trying to tell them, hey, this is happening because of something. If somebody comes to you and say, we would like to buy new CRM, uh, then you need to know why. And not why they're looking for some functionality, <laughs> but why this year? Why they didn't buy it last year or the next year? Really, so what? What was what the compelling event? Was the cause of uh, of all of that? Uh, so, not understanding this one, not quantifying the need, also happens very often, and not understanding uh, the organization from the stakeholder perspective is usually a very big mistake. Uh, relying too much on one stakeholder who seems to be as the strongest stakeholder, but but usually is not, uh, and uh, and also the when you get the overconfident stakeholder on the other side, that should be a rep, like already. if somebody tells you, I can handle everything, don't worry, my boss listens to me, uh, whatever I say, they do. Uh, it's not like that in the in the pros in the in the process <laughs> you have I don't know, like small medium business, you do seven stakeholders. Uh, if you do enterprise, you you have ten or fifteen stakeholders. and if you're just talking to one of them, uh, then there are remaining six and there's somebody else talking to them, not you. And those six can overall do the one quite easily. Uh, so those are those are the mistakes. Uh, so to wrap it up, that the uh, salespeople don't look at it from the perspective of the customers, don't try to understand deep enough the customer what's happening there. They don't manage the stakeholders mm-hmm. quite well. And managing the stakeholders also mean I need to switch the languages. If I go to the economic buyer, if I go to the C yeah. level, my language is totally different. I have to forget about my product. I have to forget about features. I need to get more into the strategic discussion about hey, well, oh, where is your organization heading? How do you want to, how do you want to s- solve the decrease in the revenue in upcoming two quarters? What are the key activities you have defined for that? Uh, uh, so this is totally different discussion than uh, the one which you have with the other stakeholders.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's it's definitely. No definitely very true around the stakeholder and just having enough um what we used to call surround sound, right? Make sure that you're you're talking to multiple people in the organization. And as you said, and especially on an enterprise deal, there could be easily a dozen people yeah, yeah. that you need to be in yeah, contact absolutely. with. And
1: if you, like when we when we advise our customers and they're doing the enterprise deal, but real enterprise, this is 500K plus uh, deals, Mm-hmm. Then even without like, you can spend hours just to draw the diagram, who is where, who reports to whom was <laughs> uh, the priority of each of every person yep. and why, why they should talk to you, what's in it for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk about um, selling a little bit. You know, I think, you know, selling is one of the toughest rules. Right. And then with buyers, you know, becoming more informed, they're more demanding, you know, so selling is just getting more and more difficult. Um, and I think that's why sales training and enablement is not a, you know, nice to have. It's definitely yeah. a must have. Um, and I saw that you recently launched the Sales Academy Online. Maybe can you share more about this and maybe how salespeople and sales teams can benefit?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, that was, uh, it wasn't recently. It was the uh, during the COVID, so it's already some time. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> no, but <laughs> no, no, worries, no worries about it. Uh, but the thing was, um, we just wanted to formalize our know-how and uh, uh, use it also for the for the organizations. Once we leave the organization with our trainings, we leave their we leave their uh, the way how we we usually build the sales excellence academy, so that they can use it afterwards for for their new incoming salespeople. And this is part of the package that we give them an uh, online academy. Also for some of the clients who couldn't afford us, uh, and this is uh, also some kind of. Uh, Way how cheaply they can uh, uh, get uh, get to to the know how which we then deliver to co- companies and afterwards we can do just the sales coaching uh, for them. It, so that those it. those were the triggers uh, 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 to put the know how out there and yeah. also if somebody some companies would like to test us, you mm-hmm. know, having the sales consultants and put them in front of the in front of your twenty account enterprise account executives who are very egoistic. Uh, you have to have. A huge confidence that the that this that the, that the sales trainers uh, won't, uh, uh, won't fuck it up in a way, <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So you better be sure. Um, yeah, better be sure that it's going to work. So cool. Well, you know, as I think about the revenue engine, you know, and the podcast, I always hope others are going to be able to learn, right? How to accelerate revenue growth, how to really power the revenue engine. Um, so maybe from your perspective, you know, what are the top like maybe two or three things that you think all revenue leaders should really be thinking about right today to start to drive that revenue growth and retention?
1: Oh uh, well, what uh, you mentioned it uh, correctly: drive the revenue growth and retention and uh, new new new, MR, uh, new MRR from the or ARR ARR from the current customers. So. What I, what we saw at the, some of the organization was uh, not looking not looking at the funnel as a whole funnel but uh, just looking at the, okay marketing has to bring the marketing qualified leads BRs have to schedule meetings mm-hmm. uh, account executive have uh, have to they they get bonuses from the first two new MRRs and they don't care that much and the poor customer yeah. success has to have to save everything and uh, it, yeah. it harms your funnel in a way that if you're not getting enough uh, if you d- don't align the whole funnel that they have the common common goals because to optimize on MQLs uh, it's not that complicated to generate hundreds of leads uh, which then don't convert into the business it's not that complicated to schedule yeah. plenty of meetings that doesn't convert into the business and It's not that complicated to have a pushy sales tactics to make the customer sign, and who would turn after four months from your organization. So this is uh, this is one of the things uh, which definitely brings you brings you new revenue. Very often, uh, I, I would say that for us, the cornerstone is always to structure the sales process way better, and then follow it and uh, do the change management and. This is also I think where the most of the organization fail. They say, Hey, we have metpic mm-hmm. We have, we got the trainers for MedPIC. But nobody gets back to that. They they do maybe two, three weeks after the Medpic training. But it's not in their blood. Yeah. They don't follow it. Some some of the some of the account executives do or account managers do. But that's like those 10, 20 percent who are always crush crushing the quota, and they did that even before more more or less. And um this is uh, yeah, d- such a waste of, uh, waste of money and opportunity, uh, just do this, to, yeah. do one step more and, uh, and that has to go from the leaders because uh, there's no crime if there's no judge. Uh, so if, if, <laughs> uh, if there's nobody telling you, hey, you should go and get this confirmed by the economic buyer or, or you should calculate your ROI yeah. with the champion and have it confirmed by the economic buyer, then the salespeople won't do that. Yeah, and yeah. the last thing, and this is not just about metrics, or also about sales process or whatever you define, and you set the organization in some direction and truly mean it and and enforce it. Uh, and the last thing where I see a lot of a uh, lot of uh, lost opportunities is the bad hiring. So not having well-defined who I'm looking for, what are the massive criterias? How do I onboard that person? Not having defined clearly, hey, this one goes for market A and for the vertical B and for the uh, the size of the customers, this and that. Because if you do small and medium business, you should hire the team for the small and medium business. If you do enterprise, you should hire enterprise salespeople, not do that vice versa. And this is not about just the profile, but it's also about the, uh, we did also plenty plenty of mistakes in hiring uh, uh, and we were always doing the loss review. So if somebody left us mm-hmm. or we had to fire somebody, we said and say what was wrong with the person, not what was wrong with the person, but what was wrong on the cooperation between us and the person, what we expected, what wasn't there, what were the aspects and how we can improve the next hire. So we ended up with, for instance, if we're looking for BDRs or uh, hunters in general, we ended up with simple criteria which we need to have. Uh, we're looking for natural achievers that uh, they had some achievement in their life. It doesn't have to be career one. It could be that they were the best and throwing darts uh, when they're at the high school. Doesn't really matter, but there's some achievement that they have experience with calling. So they know the drill. They pick up the phone 20 times a day, e- even when they were 18 and they could be selling whatever. But they they understand it. Yeah. Culture fit. They have some intelligence, uh, empathy and so on. and. Uh, If they don't have, if they don't have the, we don't see the achievement or we don't see the experience with the calling, we just don't hire the person, even though we like the person, because we know that there is a high chance that the person would leave us after five months, six months, or the person wouldn't be crushing the quota. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. So definitely, around the hiring is so important, right? The right person for the right role, you know, and and also once they come on board, is making sure you have a success plan right? For them to be ramped and be successful in the organization. Absolutely.
1: And like, if you do math about the, about the hiring, this is like, (laughs) this is such a huge cost, like getting somebody into the company, onboarding the person for usually many organizations don't fire the person after three months, unless there's some culture misfit. Usually it happens after six, nine or 12 months. So they sell even longer than they should. And uh, then you hire the per- fire the person and after one year you have zero quota attainment from that person mm-hmm. and then you don't have any person and you start again so so if yeah. you look at the cost the loss of valuation the loss of potential revenue this is massive cost
0: yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and the drain just on yeah, the internal yeah, yeah. resources too, right, of all the people who had to onboard them, get them a laptop, right? Just, I mean, there's so many things that, you know, there's cost of, it's a cost of acquisition, right, of a of an employee. It's similar, I guess, maybe kind of similar to a cost of a customer, right, bringing somebody on board. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And imagine what happens with the sales leaders. It harms the whole team. So imagine what happens if the sales, yeah. the sales leaders, if they have two people who are outperforming or they're on the quotas and three of them, which are on the 60%, to whom do they allocate time? To those one with 60% and they end up after some time, you will fire those people. You don't pay attention to your to your quota crushers, which they can, instead of 120, they could have delivered 200 if they got the proper coaching, but you just didn't have time to allocate your time for them. So. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, good. Well, so thank you so much for joining me, Jacob. But as we wrap up, uh-huh. before I let you go, I was asked my guest two things. So one, what is the one thing about you that others might be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you?
1: Oh, those are interesting questions.
0: <laughs> so something that people might be surprised to learn, and then maybe something that you really want people to know. And it could be the same thing. Uh, Sometimes it's the same thing.
1: I expect a question. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, see? Now you know why I give you the ahead of time. <laughs> 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 um is is there something that maybe, you know, doesn't have, it could be personal or could be professional. Yeah. Or maybe there's nothing. Well,
1: yeah. This is just (laughs) ridiculous. Not not ridiculous. I'm not sure if it is relevant. Yeah, usually when people look at me, they don't believe me that I used to play table tennis as as the primary sport on a on a sport level when I was uh, at elementary school.
0: Oh wow! (laughs) Did you do you still play?
1: No, no, not not anymore. I I still when I uh, when I get to the university because I didn't have much much of time for that. Yeah. So so this is. this is uh, one of the things uh, which you wouldn't probably expect.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> well, good. Well, good. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining me. I am um, really appreciate your time and just sharing your expertise and knowledge with, with the community and with our audience. So thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Awesome. Thank you.
1: Bye-bye.